I can hardly believe I'm welcoming you to the September edition of the Home Run Club. That means fall has arrived. I love the fall. I trust and hope you've had a great summer with your family. We've got a lot of stuff going on here at Winning at Home. I would remind you we're working on our miracle on 16th Street. We hope to open it sometime in November. The final things are being put in place in order to have our new Winning at Home downtown Holland. So I appreciate your prayers as we continue to strategically pray and plan to put forth the best effort we can to minister to the inner city of Holland, especially to the children of the neighborhoods. And so would you join me in prayer as we continue to seek to do that? In fact, let's just do that right now. Father God, I pray over what you have provided, what you are doing, winning at home Holland. I ask you to bless it. Thank you for these partners who have helped to make much of it happen. Uh, Would you, in these final days of preparation, help us to cross all our T's, dot all our I's, be as prepared as we can humanly, and then allow your anointing to flow through it so that people can be ministered to, we pray together. Amen. Let me also let you know, our fall banquet is October the 24th. It's a banquet we only do every other year. And so at this banquet, I'll be giving an update. I'll be sharing with you a lot more details about what's going on at Holland and at our Tampa Bay office and literally at different places across the country. So please come and be a part of that. I look forward to sharing that time with you October the 24th. If you haven't signed up, call our office and ask for Julie, 772-1733. Ask for Julie. She'll help you with that. We also have a ladies bus trip. Many of you who get this home run club have been part of that. It's a Chicago bus trip for ladies, and it's going to happen on September the 27th. So you can also call and ask for Julie again. She'll get you all that info. I am thankful for your partnership and trust as you listen to this month's edition of the Home Run Club. You'll be encouraged. It's a little bit different. You've never heard my son Josh preach, and I had the privilege of receiving a message recently from him. He said, hey, Dad, I preached, and here's the message, and as I listened to it, I cried. I praise the Lord for the message. It talks about doing the right thing, being a person of integrity. And I want you to join me today as we listen to my son Josh. Him and Amy have two of our six grandchildren. Their names are Jonah and Ivy, fun kids. Don't get to see them enough, as many of you can relate to, but love those kids. And they're out in Camden, New Jersey, planted a church there several years ago. Uh, Josh serves as the executive pastor over the church, but also speaks sometimes. And today you're going to listen to a speech he delivered recently at the church. So I hope you enjoy it. I hope it touches your heart. I hope you laugh a little bit, cry a little bit, and just be reminded that God is in control And he loves it when we live in lives of integrity, do the right thing. So hope you enjoy this message. Again, my son Josh speaking at Epiphany Church in Camden, New Jersey. Here we go. So when I was in college, I I wasn't too much of a reader, right? And particularly when it came to having something dictated or assigned to me that I was told to read that I didn't find particularly interesting or exciting, right? So a class like World Literature where I'm expected to read dozens of these classic novels from years ago and and whatever else, it it was a bad fit from the start, right? But unfortunately, this was a required class at my school. So I decided, let me knock it out early. I took it when I was a freshman. And one thing I found out real quick when I started this class was a huge percentage of our grade for the final class was dependent on how we did in these pop quizzes. So we had these pop quizzes that happened anywhere from like weekly to biweekly. And if you weren't caught up on your reading for that day, you, you wouldn't have a chance, right, at salvaging this thing. There's no, there's no getting through this thing unless you're actually prepared and caught up on your reading. 
Well, let me tell you, I was almost never caught up on my reading, right, when it came time for these pop quizzes. So not only did I think that Sparknotes, which for those who don't know, is an online chapter-by-chapter -chapter summary of various books, not only did I think that Sparknotes would be a good alternative to reading the actual book, but I would try to pick up on the patterns and predict when we would have these pop quizzes and get in the professor's head and try to figure out what he was doing. And then I would only read spark notes when I thought that we would have a pop quiz. Y'all so can see where this is going, right? Y'all know what happened. Y'all know what happened, but I'll tell you. I'll tell you. So while I, thou I thought that I had outsmarted the system, right, and I thought that I could, could come up with a plan on my own, and every single time that I was, I was confident that we would have a pop quiz in the next class, the professor would always hit me with it that day, right, when I was least prepared, like I always was. And I was just looking at that paper like a deer in headlights without a clue of what was going on. And I was so committed to not reading these books and doing what I wanted to do, right, hanging out with my friends and doing whatever else was a priority for me at that time, that I paid for it, right? And this led to, to what they call in the academic community as failing, right? <laughs> I, so I failed the class. I failed the class because I was too caught up. I didn't act sensibly, right? I deceived myself, and I thought that I could come up with a better plan than doing clearly what I should have done. But let me tell you that God can work for our good and his good, even in our foolishness? Because let me tell you, when I had to retake that class, I convinced a certain young lady to be my study partner to ensure that I wasn't going to fail this class again, right? And her name was Amy Bowen. And her name now is Amy Seaborn. Can I get an amen? Amen, amen. So she, she helped to keep me on track in that class, and she's been keeping me on track ever since. So love you, babe. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. And not only that, but on top of that, I've turned the corner when it comes to reading books to the point where, you know, me and Pastor Ern are both competitors. We like to find different, different ways to compete against each other. And so last year, when he challenged me to who could read the most books in 2018, I, could, I couldn't say no, right? We had to do it. We had to do it. So next time you see your lead pastor, please tell him on my behalf, congratulations on the silver medal for the Epiphany Church Pastors Read-Off for 2018. But the principle of my story, right, and how I acted in that class applies to a lot of us in our lives, right? At times we make bad decisions and we do what we want to do in the moment and we don't do what's best for us and we pay for it later. So when we look at our verse... This proverb this morning takes us to a point, it paints a picture where we are in a spot where we're faced with a decision, a course of action, a thought, or, or somewhere that we kind of come to a crossroads and we have to make a decision. Um, and there's two different options for how we can address that situation, right? So I'm going to read it. It's a short verse. I'm going to read it one more time, and we'll talk through these two options. The verse says, the sensible person's wisdom is to consider his way but the stupidity of fools deceives them. So this verse, when we come to this crossroads, gives two contrasting options. So one of our options is to think things through, right? To consider our way, to think things through. The other one is to do whatever we want to do, 
and tell ourselves it's a good idea, right? <laughs> to deceive ourselves. Secondly, the verse characterizes each of these two options for us. One is sensible, one is stupid, right? Finally, it gives us a look into what type of person would respond in each of these two ways. One is wise, one is a fool. So we have the wise who act sensibly and think things through, and we have the fool who acts stupidly and does what they want to do, right? That's, that's where this verse puts us. So the message of this proverb is that we can't afford to be so stuck in our ways and so enslaved to our desires and to our flesh that we fail to slow down, to think things through, and to process the consequences of our actions. This means that you can't discern the will of God in your life unless you're open to changing your mind. You can't discern the will of God in your life unless you're willing to have your plans and your ideas challenged. You can't discern the will of God in your life unless you're willing to submit them to Jesus and die to your will and your desires and to submit to his will and his desires. Unless you're sensible. And the battle between thinking things through and doing what we want to do looks different in every situation, in every scenario, right? So a couple examples, right? I know you want to buy that new pair of shoes that just came out, or you want to buy that new phone that just came out that you don't need unless you're Jacob. But what about, what about your rent, right? What about your rent? What about your mortgage? Love you, bro. My bad. Right? I, I know that person looks good. And you want to see what you can make happen. But what about their character? Right? I know you want to spend your time, your day off, your Saturday, binging on Netflix on that show your friend told you about. Right? But what about spending time in the Word and spending time in prayer with Jesus? Are we thinking through our actions and their consequences? Now, can I tell you that we as humans default to the second half of this verse? The one where we do whatever we want to do and don't really think about the consequences and do what's in our short-term interest, what the verse calls stupid, that's where we default. How do I know that? I got two reasons. One, I got 30 years of experience. But if you don't want to take my word for it, we can go just a few chapters later, right? The author of our Proverbs, Solomon, just a few chapters later, Proverbs 21.1, he says that all a person's ways seem right to him. So we find a way to convince ourselves every time, every decision we make, we tell ourselves in the moment that this is the best decision for us. That means that only if we let the Lord in on our decisions can we overcome our natural inclination, our natural tendency to do what is not best for us in the long run. But it takes hard work. It's, genu it's genuinely hard work, and it takes a constant, a consistent, and a genuine relationship with Jesus for us to do this for us to follow and seek his will. So let me ask you, are you allowing your mind to be transformed by Jesus? Are you confessing your sins to God and to others and repenting and turning from your sins? Are you regularly seeking the Lord in prayer and depending on and asking the Spirit to be at work in your life? Are you attending community groups and are you growing in, in community and in accountability and in discipleship with other believers? Are you spending time, are you committed to pursuing God through his word and applying it to your life? Our minds and our hearts have to be constantly molded and shaped by Christ and by his word. Because if they're not, 
the Holy Spirit in our verse tells us that when we don't consider our ways, when we act foolishly and pay little to no regard for the consequences of our actions, we deceive ourselves. And this self-deception of stupid decisions leads to pain in our lives and leads us outside of the will of God. Now, when we talk about pain, there's a couple of distinctions that we need to make because there are different types of pain. There are different reasons we can experience pain. But there are two primary ones, right, that we see in Scripture that, I wanna, I, that we need to make a distinction between. One of those is divine pain, right? A lot of times we experience pain and suffering as believers because God is allowing things to take place in our life that's going to grow our character and grow our trust in him and ultimately bring about his plans and his purposes in our lives, right? So we see this in Romans 5. Speaking of this divine pain, it says that these afflictions, divine pain that we experience, these afflictions produce endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope in Jesus. So divine pain is something, it's genuine pain, it's real pain that we need encouragement through, we need our family through, we need to to continue to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, it's tough, it's real, but it's ultimately for our own good. But then there's another type of pain that we can experience. And I, I don't know what to call it, stupid pain, right? We experience stupid pain. And stupid pain is when we're suffering the consequences of our own actions. So often we like to point the finger and point the blame at something outside of ourselves when we go through trials, right? So we ask God why he's allowing something to take place in our lives, why he's, why he's doing this to us. We, we blame the devil. We say the devil is after us. And that, and that the devil is, is bringing about this pain in our lives. But a lot of times that's not the case. A lot of times we simply need to look in the mirror because your pain is the result of our own actions and our own failure to think things through. Right? So when you give that person just one more chance who's hurt you time and time again, and, and the people in your life that you, that you love and trust are telling you to, to leave it alone because it's, you're, only gonna, you're only asking for more pain, but you idolize or idealize that situation and that relationship or that person, that you ignore the advice, you ignore the counsel of others, and you get yourself hurt again, we're inviting pain in our lives. So thinking things through is so important, not only to help us avoid unnecessary pain, but also to help us discover God's will in our life. But if I can be honest... A lot of us have kind of a a, a negative spiritual association with thinking, right? We'd so much rather, we ask God to send some type of sign, right? We want want to wake up in the morning one day and and have a a, a message written on our wall in all gold, beam straight down from heaven, right? (laughs) Like we all ask for like some crazy stuff, like God, if if this is you, do something crazy. And God, God can communicate however he wants, right? God is capable of anything. But more often than not, as simple and non-miraculous as it sounds, God far more often reveals his will simply through the process of slowing down and thinking things through. But oftentimes, instead of thinking, we've been told or believe that we need to just step out in faith and make a decision without thinking about it. Right? Or we think that we need to just pray about something and not actually think about it and just pray for the result that we want without thinking it through. 
But if you remember, for those who were here last week, and for those who weren't, I'll catch you up a little bit, but Pastor Aaron broke down our view of our hearts and how we so often think of the passage in Jeremiah, the prophet who talks about our heart being deceitfully wicked above all things, who can know it? And he talked about how God promised in Ezekiel to give us a heart, to replace our heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh, right? And, but we, we get so stuck on viewing the negative side of that. And can I tell you, it's, it's a lot the same way when it comes to our minds, because Romans chapter 12, verse 2, tells us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we can discern the good and pleasing and perfect will of God. So using our minds to discover God's, God's will in our life requires that our minds are transformed and renewed by Jesus. And you're probably sitting here thinking right now, because I did when I read this verse, and when you, anytime you read Proverbs, you're probably looking at this, and it feels so black and white, right? It's such a, it's such a sharp contrast. A lot of times we, we read a verse like this, and we, we try to convince ourselves that we're in the wise camp, right? Like, we're, we're pretty wise, right? Like, we, we, we act sensibly for the most part, but, like, sometimes I do some dumb stuff, but, like, I, it's not my, you know what I mean? Like, more often I'm trying to make good decisions. There's a conflict in our heads, right? And, and let me tell you, you're right. You're right, because we are typically wise in some areas and at some times and foolish at other times and in other situations, right? So maybe you're wise when it comes to your finances and your career, but you're a fool when it comes to your relationships. Or maybe you're wise with your relationships. You have a healthy marriage. You have a God-honoring marriage, or you have... A, a relationship with wise boundaries where you're seeking to follow and obey God. But maybe you're bad with your money. You're bad at spending and stewarding and saving your money. You don't know what you're doing with it. Maybe you're good with both your money and your relationships, but you're foolish about how you spend your time. All of, all of us have certain situations where we're wise and certain situations where we're foolish. So let me tell you where that puts us. We're all in the same boat. Right? We all fall short of God's standard. And we're all in need of his grace. We need his grace, his forgiveness, and his guidance to help us going forward. We need him to do in us what we can't do in ourselves. We need God's power to experience a breakthrough in how we make decisions. We need God's love to experience a breakthrough in how we process things. And we need his, his grace to break free from what our families and what our culture has embedded in our minds and how we think. We need Jesus in order for us to have an eternal kingdom mindset and not a what do we want to do right now mindset. So how can we make this happen? How, how do we pursue this? I'm gonna, we're going to get real practical for a minute. We're going to talk about seven questions to ask yourself when you're faced with a decision. All right, seven super practical questions. If, again, if you're a note taker, this is, this is the time. Write these questions down, and when you're faced with your next big decision or any situation, reflect on these questions and ask yourself these, these seven questions. First question is, am I rushing? Am I rushing? You can make some of the worst decisions in your life when you don't take the time to sit down and think about them first. And as a general rule, the bigger decision that you have to make the longer you should be thinking and processing through this decision, right? If you impulse buy a house, like you're in trouble, 
right? If, if, if you quit your job on the spot because you don't like something somebody said to you and you don't have a plan or a back or any other way to provide for yourself, again, stupid pain, right? Right? We're asking for it. And a lot of times we don't do this intentionally, but we simply have too much going on and we're too busy and we get caught up in the day-to-day that we never slow down and think about it. But it's so important that we, that we carve out time and that we're serious about slowing down and thinking through our decisions. So are you rushing? Second question to ask yourself is, do I understand the options before me? Do I understand the options before me? Every time you make a decision, you're making a decision not to do something else, right? Or an infinite number of something else's, right? So are we thinking through what we're giving up? what we're leaving on the table, what we're not prioritizing when we make a decision. If I spend money on these clothes or on this car, how is that going to affect my goal of trying to buy a house? Right? Whatever it is for you. Are we thinking through the implications of what we're deciding not to do by what we're deciding to do? Have we considered all our options? Question number three to ask yourself is, have I considered my limits? A lot of us have a lot of, of good ideas. We have a lot of, of things that we care about, that we're passionate about, that we want to see happen. But what we have to come to realize and accept is that we're not God. We're not God, and we can't do everything. Like, sometimes you have to say no to a really good opportunity. You have to say no to something that's important and something that you believe in. Because when we let our schedules get so overflowed and we have so much going on, that we're ignoring our God-given limits. We have limits emotionally. We have limits financially. We have limits uh, relationally. As far as our time, we have so many limits. So are we overcommitting by taking on something else? Do I recognize my limits? Fourth question to ask yourself, where is my pride in this? Where is my pride? Because pride causes us to make a lot of bad decisions. And pride is always working to influence our decision. It's always in the back of our mind somewhere. Can you identify what your pride is encouraging you to do and, and where your pride is at play in this so that you can fight against it? Because pride is trying to posture you to look a certain type of way, to cover up your insecurities, to make you look like you have it all together, but to somebody else, to put you in a higher position of authority. Where is, where is your pride? Fifth question to ask yourself, who have I processed with? Who have I processed with? Have you discussed your options and your thought process with people outside of yourself who share the values that you share? So for most of us, for those of us who are believers, that means have you talked with somebody else that's going to help you point you to Jesus? Have you talked with a pastor or a leader or a mentor? Have you brought it up in your community group? Or are you embarrassed to bring it up because you know you are making a bad decision deep down and you don't want anybody to talk you out of it? Question number six to ask yourself, am I repeating a mistake? We have a tendency to make the same bad decisions over and over again. Just because it's what we're used to, it's easy, it's what's familiar to us. But kind of like when I was in my world literature class, right, and I just kept saying, oh, next, next quiz, I got him. Right, next quiz, my plan is going to show up. But what, what is the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. It's like literally the exact opposite of being sensible. 
right? So are we learning from our mistakes is the question here. Am I repeating a mistake? Seventh and final question to ask yourself. Have I worked hard to understand the implications of this decision? And you can't know completely. We don't have perfect knowledge. But generally speaking, you can have a pretty good idea of the consequences of your actions and the impact and influence it's going to have on your life, your future, and the lives of others. Are we taking this stuff into account? Are you thinking about how this is going to affect your future and others? What are the implications of this decision? So these seven questions, I, I would encourage you, if you're in the middle of, of making a big decision right now, if you have one, whenever you face one down the road, as we all do, I would encourage you to reflect on these. Write these down, take a picture. But these questions will really help to make sure that you are thinking your decisions through. It'll help to make sure that you are, are inviting God's will and seeking God's will in your life and in your decisions. So in conclusion, we all have seasons and we all have areas of foolishness. And we all make bad decisions at certain points. But can I tell you the most powerful thing that I can leave you here with this morning? As we discern if we're wise, if we're foolish, knowing that we, we aren't perfectly wise as God is. God loves fools. We don't have to hide. We don't have to hide and pretend and lie to ourselves because God loves fools. And Jesus died for fools. Right? That's us. That's us. And a lot of us live with a lot of shame and a lot of guilt and a lot of regret from decisions in our past. And we try not to think about them. And we don't want other people to know about them. And we don't like being honest with ourselves or admitting some of the mistakes we've made. But can I tell you that this is not the end of your story? And those mistakes don't define you. Your mistakes don't define you. But God will have the last word. God will have the last word in your story and in your life. Do you know that? So this is what I leave you with today. Surrender your foolishness to him. That means to humble yourself. That means to admit when you messed up. Admit the mistakes you've made. That means you might have to have some, some tough conversations. You might have to make some changes in your life. You might have to apologize and repent to people you've hurt that have been affected by your decisions. But this is what it looks like to surrender our foolishness. And when we surrender our foolishness, we can live guilt-free. You don't have to live with that guilt. Romans 8.1 says that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. You don't have to live with your guilt. Do not let your guilt or your shame win. They don't win. You are free in Christ. Jesus has taken your shame. The guilt and the penalty of your sin were taken on by Jesus Christ when he died on the cross. When he died on the cross and he rose on the third day. So we can put our trust in him knowing that he's taken on all of our guilt, all of our shame, and the penalty for our actions. You can live free and live a new life in him. You're a new creation in Christ. So leave this place today knowing that Jesus wins, and you're on the winning team. So I encourage you today, in your own life, do what you know is right. 
uh, follow that advice Josh has given right out of God's Word about how we walk with integrity in the Lord. Uh, I pray you'll continue to do that. You pray for us as we seek to continue to do that here at Winning at Home to make a mark for the kingdom of God. We praise you and thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us. And I also want to thank you as Home Run Club members. That means you support us, you pray for us, you believe in us. Thank you very much. God bless you. Talk to you next time on the Home Run Club.